You've heard me talking endlessly about the trips that uh, I suppose Ryan and Mark did more of those trips than most, and Ali was on them to South Africa when we were in Deravolgi and Chaplaincy. And one of the things that always shocked me about our trip around Robben Island was the fact that really early on when you come into the actual prison, you can start in the prison and do the tour of the island after or vice versa. Um, but when you're in the prison, they show you the diet, what they ate when Mandela came into that prison in 1964. And um, he didn't have the same diet as the coloured prisoners because he was less human than the coloured prisoners. There was uh, scientifically done that he didn't need the same kind of diet because being slightly less human, he didn't need some of the nutrients that a coloured prisoner might need, which would, of course, have been different from a white prisoner if there were such things. Imagine being told you're less than fully human every day in your diet. And before we get aghast at that, that was a theological decision in South Africa. Worked out theologically at the University of Stellenbosch by Dutch Reformed, careful Calvin, careful, and they were different than the ones that went to America. Theologians, who thankfully have apologized since for that theology. But imagine being told you're less than human and that it has been theologically decided. Our understanding of who we are is incredibly important. And in case we think that just happened in South Africa or Southern States or other parts of America, the dehumanization of people almost goes along with last Sunday morning's sermon on how power, the push and pull of power bases is going around us all the time. I would suggest that every waking moment of our lives there is a certain amount of dehumanization taking place on me and on you. Our society makes us into a political vote or an economic thing where we are the purchasers of the things they need to sell to make the bottom line bigger or fashion to what we wear or the sectarianism of Northern Ireland or even within church, there's a dehumanizing of people, of ourselves, that goes on in a daily battle. Power dehumanizes when it's tainted and twisted. And interestingly, the first event of last year's festival, Four Corners Festival, was a loyalist event on the Shankill Road because we had read a blog um, on Eamon Malley's um, brilliant blog um, Calvin, Eamon Malley, he was in the 14 Days film you saw yesterday, but you should read his blog regularly, not just while you're here, but when you go home. Um, and Eamon had got um, Winston Irvine um, uh, from the PUP to write an article, and Winston talked about in our reconciliation that the rehumanizing of one another was really important. 
and that the arts are very important in how we rehumanize each other. Well, when Father Martin and I read that, we were straight up the shankle. Father Martin knows it far better than I do. Um, talking to Winston about what we could do in order to help him in that plan to rehumanize and hence that event that we had last year. The dehumanizing of each other, the dehumanizing of others goes on within us all the time. And we know that the loss of worth, the loss of our sense of worth and of who we are is the greatest contributor to suicide in a little country where suicide is rampant, more rampant than even the killings during the Troubles, it would be said. Who we are, our sense of our humanity, our sense of our worth and our preciousness is really important for everything that we do and actually for how we're feeling right now in this building. How we have felt this last week, how we will feel in the week that's to come, our sense of who we are, our sense of identity, our sense of our preciousness, our worth, our humanity is crucial to some of the small things we might be battling through, to the big things we might be battling through, to the opportunity to be servants of others. We're not going to serve other people or be able to serve other people until we sense who we are within ourselves. And Luke's gospel is a constant about giving people back their humanity. And Luke's gospel, his account of the life of Jesus, concentrates as we have learned, because over the last number of years, we have gone through those uh, that journey from, um, from when he set his eyes uh, on Jerusalem to Jerusalem and back again. We have looked at these different people that Jesus gave the fullness of their humanity back to, their sense of worth and their preciousness. Yes, the lepers and the baggers that happen in most of the gospel stories. But even in Luke, we have a couple of unique ones like the widow of Nain that nobody was paying much attention to. And you know something? I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing this sermon and I was thinking to myself that the widow of Nain took on a whole new dimension to me this year because of Janice's ministry among the widows of Arua last summer. One of the weeks of our sabbatical before the team came out, we went to Arua and went to our school. And while the school was going on in the church building alongside it, Janice ministered to the widows every day from very early to whenever they were still there when we left because we were knackered. These widows who've been cast out of their community because of being widows with no sense of place in their community that Bishop Isaac and his wife, um, um, Mama Agnes, uh, ministered to and still ministered to in an amazing way. Going to Rua has helped me see the biblical stories in a whole new world that you don't get to see them in South Belfast. And the widow of Nain would have been one of those widows like Janice ministered to last summer. Outcast. Son dies. Who's interested? Nobody's interested because she's been dehumanized. Jesus is interested because he's rehumanizing. And he sees her in the fullness of her preciousness, not just as a widow, but as a child of God. And he acts into that situation. And not only does he heal, but the sense of humanity that he gives to that woman in that moment, in that culture, in that society, we need to not minimize. It's a huge 
ministry of transformation and redemption right there. Zacchaeus up the tree. Nobody wants Zacchaeus to see Jesus. He's being dehumanized. He's a tax collector. He's a betrayer. He's like the modern drug dealer or those doing those attacks on uh, people in West Belfast that Father Martin is so adamantly fighting against on the Stop the Attacks project. He's been a, he's an outcast, Zacchaeus. He's been dehumanized. But Jesus humanizes him to the point of taking him for lunch. For Zacchaeus, that was redeeming, transformative. He's given back four times and he's all that. It, it's trans. But the humanity that Jesus gives him, the healing that he does within the man's soul of his humanity, is the power of what we're seeing there. Or the Good Samaritan, when the priest and the Levi see the guy at the side of the road as a theological conundrum or a legalistic thing that they can't deal with because they're going to break certain laws or whatever else, they have lost the humanity of the person who's at the side of the road because of their theology or their legalism or whatever else. The Samaritan, the enemy, the other, sees the man who has been beaten up in his full humanity. That's what happens. And in the Samaritan's full humanity, in the confidence of who he is, he's able to serve somebody that he sees as perfectly human. Rehumanizing. Rehumanizing. And baptism is about fully humanizing. Baptism is a symbol where what the reading is, would you do it? We sort of, I mean, it's Rebecca's mum and dad that are the reason we're having that baptism today because it was when they would be here in Ireland and we decided we would try and make that happen. But little did I know when we were looking at those dates that the second Sunday in the church calendar, because I've only been doing this for a couple of years, is the Sunday we think of baptism. Every year, actually, if you're doing the lectionary. And so here we are with these scriptural passages about Jesus entering into our humanity so that he could rehumanize us. He didn't need baptized. He didn't have an old life to get rid of and a new life to have. He was the sinless son of God. But he entered into our humanity so that in entering into our humanity, he could make us more fully human. And what's happening in this baptism is a goodbye to the old world and a bringing on of the new world. And you hear me saying that so often, but that's what it is. It's an end to the old world order. And it's hello to the resurrected new world order. And what we've done with Eli this morning in that symbol is say to him, we want you to find the full humanity of what Jesus came to bring to you. We want you to grow up in a world where you will say goodbye to all the brokenness that you see around you, where you will be subversive to all the brokenness that you see around you, and where you will be one of the healers of our society, one of those who sees the hope of a new world order, and that you will live for that new world order. And that in order to do that, within yourself, you will be able to come back to a day that you don't even remember. Although when I'm walking around, he was paying me so much attention that I wonder if he will remember. But even on a day that you didn't remember, we said about you, we made sure that we symbolized that you were not just, we humanized you. 
We made you a child of the creator. We handed you into the hands of the creator who knows what you're made for. Not only as a human being, but as Eli James Key, who's different than all the other human beings. Who God wants to take in all his fullness and give life in all its fullness. When Jesus said, 10-10, I have come that you might have life in all its fullness. It was to die to the old self that can bring you down and destroy you. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're putting that life behind us. We're going to live a resurrected life of life in all its fullness. Now, one of the commentators that I read this week concentrated on the you word. On the you word. We've heard that before. A voice came from heaven, you're my son whom I love with him, I'm well pleased. Well, Mark and Luke use you. Um, Matthew use, this is my son. But this one reflector or commentator in this passage concentrated on the you and said that the you is important. Because when I baptize you as Eli James Key, when I baptize you, God's saying like he said to his son Jesus, He's saying the same thing. Eli's not divine. But he's saying you. I am well pleased. You. I baptize you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The you is making Eli precious. Do you feel precious this morning? Isaiah 43 that was read this morning. Is a passage I read in many homes and by hospital beds. Because it talks about God knowing us by name. And how precious we are to God. He knows us by name. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you I am well pleased. Do we believe that this morning? Here we come every week. We sing these songs that again this morning are well chosen. We read these passages of scripture. We gather together. We assent to something. We're Christians, we might not like the Presbyterian word because we grew up brethren or Catholic or Church of Ireland or Methodist, and that's only the ones that are given out the communion later on. Um, we're, 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 but we're all followers of Jesus, and we've come together as that body of people this morning. But do we believe at this moment in time, you, you are precious, that you are different, because God loves you as you are. Or have the power bases of our world, or that old order, that broken order, has that old broken order still got its way in our lives and we haven't remembered that baptism got rid of all that? Well, it hasn't got rid of it reality, you understand, but got rid of the, the power of it and got rid of the idea that that was what we were lost into because we were raised again in our baptism into something that's new, redeemed, transformed because Jesus entered into our humanity so that we might find the humanity that we were originally created to be. In baptism and his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. It's interesting at the prayer breakfast on Friday morning with Richard Moore, an amazing story. Richard Moore was blinded by a British soldier rubber bullet when he was 10 years of age. No bitterness whatever. Um, met the guy who shot the rubber bullet years later, has become friends of, he calls him, his name's Charles, he lives in Scotland, and he's working with children in Crossfire in Ethiopia and Tanzania and here in Ireland. Incredible, incredible human being. But what he kept saying, and uh, 
what seemed to come through on Friday morning was an interesting thing, that to be able to forgive others or to be able to serve others or to be able to do anything else with others, the healing begins within yourself. You almost need to forgive yourself. You need to know that God has forgiven you and believe that God has forgiven you so that you can forgive yourself. I find it interesting, Paul Gallagher came to our night in Rwanda here in November. Uh, Paul was put in a wheelchair by, uh, they wanted to kill his neighbor. His neighbor didn't turn up. They took his house hostage. They riddled him with bullets. He's been in a wheelchair since he was 19. And, um, and when I was talking to Paul about forgiveness and this struggle of forgiveness and scandalous forgiveness about the festival, he said, Steve, I had to forgive myself. I needed to forgive myself for not being able to forgive the people that shot me before I was going to be able to forgive the people that shot me. And I'm going, What? He had to forgive himself because he didn't want to forgive the people that shot him before he could forgive the people that shot him. The deep sense of healing that goes on in people's lives. And we need that healing in our own lives. It needs to start with us this morning. We need to believe who we are. We need to remember we're baptized. We need to know that as we come to this table, that this bread and this wine is to nourish us, to cleanse us, to give us a new start this morning, that we can walk out here because of what Jesus has done for us, brand new and ready to live, knowing that we are the you that God wants to bless. Eli's been baptized and we've taken vows. And I long that Eli sees us as a people who know who we are. I long that he comes here and as he grows up, he sees people around him that have confidence in the identity that they have in Jesus. That there's a sense within them that they are so aware of their identity that they can do incredible things like reach out across communities and be peacemakers across our city. I long that he might see a people that are killing off the old order subversively every week that he worships here and living a new resurrected life. I long that he might live among a people who see the you in their own baptism. And I long that we might see him in his preciousness all through it all. Oh, we smiled as I walked him down the aisle and Some of you cooed and, oh, isn't he lovely? When he becomes 16 or 17 or when he becomes 4 or 5 and he's dancing around the front here or he becomes 30 or 40, I want us all to look at him and remember that he is special because we baptized him at the front of this church and that God loves him preciously. And therefore, the person that's sitting beside you in the pew now, I want you to look at them and they are precious. They are wondrous. They are made in the image of God and redeemed by the cross and the resurrection of Christ. And we need to see each other as who, I tell you what, you see if we treat each other like that, the healing within ourselves would soon begin to come about. Because if other people treat us that preciously, then God could maybe use that to remind us how precious we are. That we wouldn't forget the you in our baptism.